Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. This time, we are going to go a little bit paradoxical on you. We're going to talk about some basic ways, some pretty surefire ways that you can make OCD worse. And of course, my intention in sharing all of this is because I want you guys to do the opposite. I want you to come at it from the lens of if I keep doing these things or if I don't address these things that Jenna is talking about, it's a pretty surefire way to make your OCD worse and to continue that OCD and anxiety cycle to make sure that your symptoms are getting more severe and all the while, right, your world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're often talking about things that would make your OCD better and that would make your world better. But we're going to talk about more specifically how, if you really, really wanted to, how to make OCD worse. And there are, of course, so many different things that you could do to make OCD worse. This is by no means an exhaustive list, um, but these are kind of the top five things that came to my mind when considering what somebody could do hypothetically to make OCD worse. And in turn, what I want to make sure that you are all super, super clear of moving forward in your recovery. So we're going to go over five of them. And just really, really quickly, first one is to give in to all of your compulsions immediately. We'll go into each of them in depth here. Two is when you have a bad thought, replace it with a good thought. Three, use all of the coping skills all the time. Four, never share your thoughts with anyone ever. This is usually the one that kind of sparks the most curiosity and the most questions because usually what I get questioned is, well, isn't it good to not confess your thoughts to people? And yes, the ritual of confessing with the function of reducing your anxiety or trying to reduce that guilt or shame, that's not what we're going for here. But like I said, we'll go into detail a little bit more throughout the episode. And then the last one that we'll go over today is to take all of your thoughts extremely seriously. So first things first, Let's talk about how and why giving into all of your compulsions immediately would make your OCD worse. We know how important it is to resist or reduce or postpone rituals and compulsions and just generally try to find a way to mess with OCD's pattern, right? We know that that's critical. And if you need a more 
of a brush up on this topic, I would highly, highly recommend going back to some of my earlier episodes or even better yet, going to my website and checking out my OCD and anxiety cycle workshop. It is available for instant download. If you're like, wait, I don't know why my compulsions are making things worse. Like, what are you talking about, Jenna? We have all the resources for you. They're available on my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com. Click up at the top, learn, and you'll be able to find all of the workshops there. So give in to all of your compulsions immediately. That is a surefire way to make your OCD worse. Why? Because we know as a result of having gone through just the foundational OCD and anxiety cycle stuff, we know, no arguing against it, that doing rituals makes OCD worse. They might provide you with a temporary fleeting feeling of relief, but what it does, whether you're conscious of it or not, is it basically gives credibility to that initial obsession in the first place, right? It basically gives your brain the message that, ah, good thing you did that ritual, otherwise something bad would have happened. And that, you know, really starts this huge cascade of learning and neural pathways developing. And, you know, the next time that you have that trigger, you're going to remember that. Your brain is going to have had registered that previous thing as requiring some type of compulsion, requiring some type of response, and is therefore threatening and is therefore not just a neutral trigger, right, that we need to somehow be alert to it. So you're going to be triggered again. And because of the history that you've given your brain via having done the compulsion before, you are literally priming your brain. You are literally wiring your brain to be on alert and to be giving into these compulsions to temporarily reduce your anxiety, right? So we know that compulsions are not good. Doing compulsions in general is a way to keep your OCD strong. Now, the problem in doing them immediately is even worse, right? So I want you all to think about like just basic behavioral principles and basic learning principles. If you have a dog and you are teaching this dog to sit, when do you give the dog the bone? right? You give the dog the bone ideally immediately as soon as the dog sits, especially if you're trying to establish new learning behavior. What I mean by that is that you don't give the dog the bone 20 minutes after the dog has sat, right? Like the dog won't register even if the dog is continuing to sit, which is probably not likely, right? The dog has probably moved on to XYZ, moved on with their life, given up at that point, But it's not going to create as stringent or as solid or as reliable as an association when it comes to just the basic learning principles in the brain, when it comes to when you have that stimuli and you have that reward, right? So we're trying to do the opposite when it comes to the relieving nature of your compulsions and the anxiety of that trigger. So when you are anxious about a trigger, right, you're feeling that anxiety and you feel that whoosh of adrenaline and cortisol and all the things, and then you go and you do this compulsion, it is extremely reinforcing because it works usually right away, right? Not always, especially the longer that you do them, they kind of wear off their effects. Um, there might even come a time where you don't feel like you get any relief from your compulsions, but you do it for some reason, right? Like there's something that you're doing it for. And it relieves you of that, right? It, it, uh, it obliterates some type of pain or some type of distress, even if just momentarily. And so by doing the compulsion immediately, 
Let's say that you feel like your hands are dirty and you immediately go and clean, right? Let's say that you immediately, you feel that, you know, swell of guilt about something, about an intrusive thought, and you immediately go and Google it. You immediately go and confess it to somebody to try to offload that feeling of guilt or get reassurance, whatever it is. If you do that compulsion immediately, you are setting yourself up for some pretty significant neural pathways to be formed, right? Just like the dog in the bone. So it's really, really important to ensure, you know, we're thinking of these things in terms of learning and we're thinking of these things in terms of not just how we're responding to it now, but how what we're responding to now, how that's going to have an impact on our later learning for the next time that we have that trigger because it's going to happen again. So moral of the story here is really to... We want you to be able to resist compulsions. That is the best thing generally that somebody could do in this situation if they're wanting to untangle from the mess that is OCD. But even more so, the worst thing that you can do is to do your compulsion right away, like as soon as you start to feel anxious. What I would rather someone do is to postpone that compulsion. If they can't resist a compulsion completely, it's better to postpone it right? So to postpone it by five minutes or even 30 seconds, any way that you're messing with OCD's pattern is a win. Even if it means that eventually you give into the compulsion, it's generally a good idea to try to postpone that as much as possible because it won't be as salient of an association in your brain, just like the dog in the bone in the sitting, but we're kind of doing it backwards, right? Because what we want is for the dog to sit. So we reward that behavior What we want in the OCD sense is we want to not have that ritual be as fulfilling. So what we need to do is we need to kind of put some time and space in between that trigger and when we do that compulsion so it doesn't feel as immediately tied together. I hope that makes sense. The next one here that we're going to talk about is when you have a bad thought, replace it with a good thought. And many of you, if you've seen other more generic quote unquote therapists or more like quote unquote, CBT therapist without that, you know, really niche specialization in OCD and I would say even anxiety, you've probably been told to do this before. You've probably been told, you know, if you have a bad thought, just replace it with a good thought. Or, you know, if you feel like something bad is going to happen to you, think about all the reasons that you have to be grateful, right? Like just kind of negating it or neutralizing it. But when it comes to OCD and anxiety, we do not want to do that because by doing that, we are Consciously or not, we are giving into this notion that that was a bad thought in the first place. That again, that that bad thought even warranted any type of response whatsoever because we're not just letting it go. We're not just allowing it to be there. We are stopping what it is that we're doing. We're having to replace it somehow. And especially in the event of OCD, right? Like you can replace it with a good thought all you want. I don't know about you guys, but my OCD has been pretty relentless in the past if I've tried to do that. It just comes up with one more bad thought. Um, So, you know, instead of getting stuck in that cycle, instead of replacing a bad thought with a good thought, as much as you might have been told that in the past, if you were told that in the past, it was probably just because, you know, that's more of a generic kind of recommendation, right? Like, I don't know what evidence is behind it. I don't know if that is a helpful tactic or strategy. Maybe for something else I could possibly see with depression, right? Like instead of engaging in that really repetitive and relentless negative self-talk about how much you suck or whatever, right? Kind of trying to think about things more 
holistically and maybe thinking about some of the good things that you're good at and not just going down that rabbit hole of how much you suck. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about replacing a bad thought with a good thought. Like I just had a thought about my son getting into a car accident. Okay. In order to get rid of that thought now, I have to negate it with a good thought either to make myself feel better, either to kind of just replace the negative with the positive, or it might even be a little bit deeper than that. It might be like, oh my gosh, if I just allow that bad thought to be there without kind of replacing it with a good thought, then oh my gosh, something bad might happen. There might be some kind of thought action fusion thing going on. So moral of the story with this one is we really want to make sure that we are just allowing those bad quote unquote thoughts to be there. And even better, if we can practice non-judgment and not even have the thought that that thought is bad or gross or perverted or scary, right? Like just allowing it to be there, allowing it to be a thought, thinking a thought without having to connect it or draw any additional emotion out of it. The third one here is using all of the coping skills all of the time. Um, Again, if you have been in therapy before with someone who was not as niche or as expert or specialized in OCD and anxiety, specifically with exposure and response prevention, this is probably all that you've learned or all that you've been told, right? Coping skills like, oh, well, what about, what if we can incorporate some distraction? Or what about hobbies? Or what about drawing? Or, you know, whatever, right? All these coping skills, breathing. And it's like, that still gives me the impression that there is something to cope with in the first place that there is something that someone needs to do, that they need to go out of their way, and that this thing in the first place even warranted any type of response, right? Rather than allowing the coping skill in and of itself to be, just letting that be there and continuing to move on with your day, right? Letting yourself have that emotion and continuing to do the things that you wanted to do anyway. With that said, I'm not uh, an anti journaler, right? Like I love to journal. I work out. I listen to music. I do things on a day-to-day basis that could be interpreted as coping skills, right? Like from an outside perspective without any additional context, it probably could look like a coping skill, but you have to think about it as what's the function. So WTF, right? What is the function? What's the function of you journaling or what's the function of you meditating? What's the function of this quote-unquote distraction? If the function of anything is for you to urgently and desperately get away from anxiety or from the anxiety that you feel as a result of an obsession or an intrusive thought, and you feel like you need to do it repetitively, and if I don't, something bad will happen, or if I don't, I'm not able to handle it, that's not cool for your treatment, okay? That's not okay for your recovery, That's not you just coping to get through it. You are coping to get away from it and you are trying to get rid of it, right? You are trying to essentially get rid of your emotions. You're essentially trying to get rid of the trigger, get rid of the anxiety. And that's not what any of this is about. That None of this is about getting rid of. This all is about getting through. So again, no hate to the exact behavior right? There's nothing wrong inherently with journaling or with meditating or with whatever, watching TV, music, exercise. It's all about how you're using it and why you're using it. So again, bring yourself back to that question of WTF, what's the function? And by using all the coping skills all the time, anytime that you feel any discomfort or anxiety or distress or guilt or whatever, you have to, you're off to the races and you have to 
urgently and desperately get rid of that feeling or else dot, 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 something bad will happen. That's not good. That is not what we're here to learn. That is not what we're here to do. We have to learn how to get stronger. We have to learn how to sit with and act with and continue living our life with those uncomfortable feelings without giving them such a dramatized response. Before I get into the next two, I want to go over a really amazing podcast with you guys. If you like what you are listening to here, then you are absolutely going to love and enjoy my friend Zach Westerbeck's podcast. It is called the You Are Not Alone podcast. He's an author. He's a motivational speaker. He is an advocate, and he is somebody who has dealt with and struggled with OCD and anxiety and depression. He's been super honest about his struggles, and now he's kind of turned all of that energy into wanting to help other people, and he's just such a light in the community. He's incredible. He's wonderful. And he has an amazing podcast. Again, it's called the You Are Not Alone podcast. And uh, I just know if you love this stuff, you would love listening to his podcast too. And if you go through his podcast episodes, you very well might just find one or two with me on it. So um, go ahead and check that out, you guys. That is again called the You Are Not Alone podcast by Zach Westerbeck. I will make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Go and check him out. Two more left here, you guys. We have the next one, which always throws people for a loop. And I totally get it, but I really feel like you'll be on board with me as soon as you hear me out. So the next one, number four here of all the things you could do to make your OCD worse, aka we're going to try not to do them, never share your thoughts with anyone ever. And the question that I get about this or the reaction that I get about this is kind of like, oh my gosh, Jenna, I thought it wasn't good to just tell everybody my thoughts. I thought it wasn't good to just like spew all of my intrusive thoughts to other people. I thought that would be ruminating. I thought that would be confessing. And again, I urge you to go back to point number three, which is kind of WTF, right? What is the function? What's the function of you telling your thoughts to this person? Are you doing it because you're just trying to seek that connection? And, you know, you kind of just want to, you know, demonstrate how proud you are of yourself. And it's part of your journey to be a little bit more open and get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe it's even an exposure for you to tell your thoughts to somebody else, right? Especially if you're struggling with some taboo thoughts or some intrusive thoughts that maybe we don't talk about a lot. Maybe it's an exposure for you to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and share that stuff. That's great. I love that. I also think that having OCD is so incredibly isolating. Go ahead and put a pandemic on top of it. The fact that we do pretty much everything virtually now, like we are so isolated and it's a, it's a dangerous kind of road if you don't have a community to kind of fall back on. And I'm a little biased because when I worked at residential, this was a huge residential facility. Residential means it's basically people coming from all over the world, all over the country to live with you in a really, really intensive treatment situation. Where I worked, there were a total of 28 clients. There were a total of 28 residents. And so they always had someone, right? They all had a roommate, which was triggering at times, but it was also like a built-in support system. It was a built-in buddy. They were never alone. They had people that they could do exposures with. They had people to go to dinner with. And they knew that regardless of even if their subtypes were different, they were all there together. They were all working on this thing together and they knew that they were never alone. And so I just, I I think that no matter what, like you could have the best experts, you could have the best therapists, you could have the best medications, you could have everything going for you. But if you're going at this alone and you don't have someone who can remind you 
that this is hard and you know that you're not alone and that there's other people going through it too and that you have a support system to rely on i just don't know if you can possibly get the most out of that recovery experience versus if you had someone or other people that you could rely on like that so what i mean by this is that it's good when you're doing it for non-compulsive reasons right like when you're doing it out of values and in a way to connect with other people and help support your recovery versus reassurance or you know, other ritualistic reasons why someone might talk about their intrusive thoughts, it can be so incredibly helpful and meaningful and impactful for your recovery. It's so important to know that you're not alone, as cliche as that sounds. It is really, really critical to make sure that you have some kind of support system. So last one here is taking all of your thoughts extremely seriously. So Definitely, of course, if you are taking all of your thoughts extremely seriously and to the nth degree, you're analyzing them, putting them all under a microscope and just treating them all like they are the end all be all, then yes, you are going to be making your OCD a whole heck of a lot worse. Because at the end of the day, it is not the thoughts that are the problem, right? And I know that we've talked about this before. This is a very central piece to understanding OCD and anxiety. So again, if that is new to you, 10 out of 10, recommend you going to my workshop on my website. I'll make sure that I link it in the show notes here. It is so important to understand that the intrusive thoughts and the doubts and the uncertainties, that those are not the problem. Rather, the problem is the interpretation, the misinterpretation that we give to those thoughts, that they are important somehow, that because I had that thought, that must be my fault, that must mean I want it, that must mean that is you know, reflective of my values, that that th- thought must mean something, that that might happen because I had that thought, right? And so in all these situations, we are taking those thoughts extremely seriously. We are not able to just allow them to kind of come and go. We are not able to just have a thought and not connect to it, right? And so when we're taking all of our thoughts extremely seriously, as though they mean something, as though they have these judgments against them as being good and bad and scary and awful and perverted and disgusting, right? Versus looking at it kind of from an observer point of view and being able to say, I had the thought that dot, 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 it can be really, really dangerous. So again, we want to make sure that we are not taking our thoughts too seriously. I know it is so much easier said than done, but by taking all of our thoughts super, super seriously, taking responsibility for them, you know, making assumptions about what that thought might mean, about you or what implications that might have on the world around you, that is just all a surefire way, you guys, to stay stuck in your OCD and make sure that OCD keeps winning. So again, quick recap here, how to make OCD worse, and then I'll go over kind of what to do really quickly instead. How to make OCD worse. One, give in to all of your compulsions immediately. We do not want to do that. If anything, I want you guys to be resisting your compulsions, and if you can't resist completely, try to postpone it. It will do a world of difference. Two, when you have a bad thought, replace it with a good thought. I don't want you guys to do that. I want you to allow that thought to be there. And if anything, try to get away from those judgments altogether. Practicing non-judgment of thoughts, so much easier said than done, but it will do a huge service for you in your recovery. Number three of what not to do, use all the coping skills all the time. You don't need them. You don't need them. And if anything, especially if you are doing them urgently and out of desperation, They are acting as a ritual. They are functioning as a ritual and we need to get you out of there. We need to get you to a place where you can practice in ways that are small and manageable and challenging. We need to get you to practice sitting with those uncomfy feelings. Number four of what not to do, never share your thoughts with anyone ever. Again, being mindful of the function behind which you are 
telling other people your thoughts, but I think it's so important to have that support system. It's so hard to go at this and to go at it alone is a completely different beast that no one should have to go through. So definitely want to make sure within reason and for the right reasons that you are seeking out that support system. And then lastly, last one that we definitely don't want you guys to be doing is to take all of your thoughts extremely seriously. So consider practicing, you know, what would it mean? What would it look like for you to try to defuse from those thoughts a little bit, right? Instead of being so fused to those thoughts, which is very common in OCD and anxiety, how can we practice some diffusion? Diffusion would be a simple strategy of saying, I'm having the thought that dot, dot, dot. I'm having the thought that Eli might die today. I'm having the thought that I might have hit someone instead of Eli might die today. I might have hit someone right? So even just a simple inclusion of I'm having the thought that dot, dot, dot can be super, super helpful. But of course, this all takes so much practice and it's all so much easier said than done. So I want to know, I want you to know that I hear that, I hear you, but the good news is, is there's so many other resources out there for you. So between my other podcast episodes, between my workshops, between all of the other cool things that I have going on for you guys, There's so much out there that I have been providing and that I have built for you. You don't have to struggle the way that you've been struggling. This can be the start of the end, okay? So we are in this together. I hope that you found this helpful. What I want you to go and do right now is I want you to pick one of those five things that maybe you've been doing, and I want you to really focus on trying to do the suggestion that I I had instead, right? So going back and finding one of those five things that maybe you have been doing and trying really hard to implement the strategy that I suggested as an alternative, okay? So if you guys give that a try, I want you to reach out to me on Instagram. I am at jenna.overbaugh. Again, I will link all of that in the show notes. Definitely go to my website and be sure to check out my workshops. They are so, so helpful. Um, And see if I have any other fun things going on at that time. In the meanwhile, guys, keep on doing all the hard things and I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.